0: We are in our annual vision series called A Vision for Renewal. This is, uh, renewal is what we desire to see happen in our city. As our vision statement says, we are a community following Jesus seeking renewal in our city. And what does renewal in our city look like? What does that look like for us at Reality? And that's exactly what we're three weeks into right now. And today, what I wanna do is I wanna talk about being rooted for renewal. Now, this is a sermon that I give a variation of every two to three years at this church. If you've been a part of our church for a while, you've heard this sermon in part or in a whole, uh, or maybe you've heard it four times. I have no idea. But um, this, I, I've, I've taught around this, this subject a lot. So I think this is really important to revisit as a part of our series and how that, it, this specifically fits into renewal. So Psalm 1, I'll read these two texts and then I'll pray. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses four through seven. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is God's word. Let's pray. This morning, God, I pray that you would birth a dream in our hearts, or awaken an imaginative part of our, of our minds where we can imagine a long, rooted, steady life in San Francisco for the renewal of San Francisco. That we would be oaks of righteousness, trees planted next to streams of water, offering shade and fruit to the city. Birth that kind of dream in our hearts today. I ask that you would give me um, patience today and a clear mind today. I submit all of my capacities to you. We love you, Jesus. Teach your church in your strong name. Amen. There was a, a time in human history, for most actually of human history, where place and presence mattered to our experience of reality. Where if you wanted to worship God, or cultivate a friendship, or conduct a business, or express anger, or even romantically pursue someone, these things presupposed physical presence. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but most of these things can happen and do happen most of the times wirelessly now from almost anywhere in the world. We call this tech, right? And with technology, presence and place simply matter less. There's a lot of good things this brings. For example, I can live in San Francisco and my parents can live in Bakersfield and they can still know my daughter through FaceTime. Like that is, is good. And I can have Zoom calls with my friends in London and Australia. And I can tell the staff and just about everyone else that I'm unavailable due to study or whatever. And I'm only available through voice text because I hate typing. So send me a voice text, and then I'll send you one right back, and it'll take just a couple minutes of my time, and, it, and it's over with. And I don't have to, like, do spell check and all this other stuff. And, like, no, that's wrong, and what emoji do I use? I don't do that. I just go, hey, um, no, that's not what I'm thinking. And here's why. I want you to hear my voice. I love you. But no. Okay, bye. Like, that sort of thing can happen over – that's technology. So you won't hear me sit here and bemoan a bygone era of landlines and scratchy v- – like voice recorders or voicemail with physical small little cassettes that you put in your little, your like voicemail machine that, that, that happened when I was a kid, like little tiny tech. Like I'm not going to, like I, I don't want those times back. There are ways that the technological changes in the last 25 years have been liberating and empowering to our world. But they are not without cost. The French philosopher and mystic Simone Weil said in her book, The Need for Roots, she said, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. See, we might be getting a lot more accomplished today, but what are we doing to the soul? Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann says in his really excellent book called The Land, that the future of our modern modern technological movement is the promise that human persons could lead detached, unrooted lives of endless choice and no commitment, which has been glamorized through around the virtues of mobility and anonymity that seemed so full of promise for freedom and self-actualization. However, this promise has failed us. Now, how do we know it's failed us? Because we all share a deep human hunger that endless choice and wireless lives hasn't solved yet. And then he says this, he says, it is rootlessness and not meaninglessness that characterizes our our current crisis. So if we wanted to see renewal happen in our lives, and we're three weeks into the series, if we really want to see renewal happen in our lives and in San Francisco, I believe it means to be rooted in two very intentional ways. If we want to see renewal happen in the flourishing and the shalom, the shaloming of San Francisco through the church, through God's people, We have to be rooted in two very intentional ways as a community. The first way we have to be rooted is in God's presence. We have to be rooted in God. We have to be rooted in his presence. And I also believe that we have to be rooted in a particular place. And that's what I want to talk about today. To be rooted in God and to be rooted in a particular place. First, let's talk about being rooted in God. The book of Psalms begins with a picture Not with a prayer, though it has a ton of prayers in them, or a hymn of praise, though it's a song book, literally. But Psalms open with a picture. And it's a picture of a tree that is rooted by a stream of water. And it says, the psalmist says, this person who is rooted by these streams of water is a person who's blessed. Actually, look at how this person is characterized. There's vitality with this person because they are a tree, They're not a shrub or a plant or a weed. They're a tree. There's security in this person because this person's planted. This person's rooted, drawing nourishment from the stream, not waiting for the rains to come, but actually pulling nourishment from the ground because of the stream. There's capacity in this person because they're planted by streams of water. The source isn't rain. The source is coming from the stream of water that's eternal, that's going all the time. There's productivity in this person because they're fruitful. They give fruit. They offer fruit. And the fruit isn't for themselves. It's for others. So they're fruitful. There's harmony here because they bear fruit in reliable seasons. They can be relied upon to bear fruit in this season and that season. And there's a steady stream of life because of water. So they're reliable people. So there's harmony. You, you know how to trust this person. This person, what they say they do, the fruit they offer to the world is there. And there's permanency with this person. Their leaf does not wither at all. They're like this evergreen tree. that what, They're always green, but, they're, but they give fruit in season. And there's prosperity with this person. Whatever they do prospers. This is the life of someone who in Psalm 1, is blessed. This is what we call human flourishing. Now, how does this life become a reality? How do we have this kind of life where there's vitality and security and capacity and productivity and harmony and permanency and prosperity? The psalmist says in verse 3 that this, ha- or verse 2, this happens by the presence of God. This person is planted in the presence of of God. Psalm 1, verse 2, it says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, those two words the psalmist uses on how we to root ourselves in God's way is delight and meditation. Like, think about those. It doesn't say labor and strive. It says, delight yourself and to meditate. On what? On the law of the Lord, or the word there is Torah the instruction of God or the way of God. This is contrasted in verse 1 with the way of the wicked. This person doesn't walk or stand or sit in the way of the wicked, but they actually sit, stand, walk, delight, and meditate on the way of God. Now, here's the point of Psalm 1. The way to happiness and flourishing means following not the advice of questionable humans to what they think a flourishing life looks like, but rather the instruction of God to sit and meditate on the instruction of God. I'll say more about that piece next week. However, this Psalm doesn't present us with one picture, but two pictures. One is of a tree. We are to identify ourselves with this tree. We are supposed to be the tree, but that's not enough. The second picture is the stream of water or streams of water. And we're to identify the streams with God. For he and his way and his word are what we must root our lives into. My friend Mark Sayers, who lives in Australia, in his book, Reappearing Church, says that we can use Psalm 1 as a picture of a healthy system. And I talked about systems a little bit last week. and this system, the input... And the source, the input, is God's presence. When we have the input being God's presence, we delight in God's presence through his way and his word. Health flows into the system that is our life. By rooting ourselves in God's presence, by placing ourselves in God's presence through his word, through cultivating intimacy with him, through meditating, speaking the the scriptures out loud, by ruminating on them, by delighting in God's way, By doing this, health starts flowing into our lives, actually into the whole system of our lives. And when that happens, flourishing happens. Now I want you to think about this right now. I want you to imagine your life as a tree. Picture yourself as a tree. Now answer these questions. Where are you planted? What is the main input into your life system? Where are you drawing life from? Are you a fruitful tree? What kind of fruit are you bearing and for who? Where are you giving your fruit to? Where are you offering your shade? Do you feel like there's a drought in your life? Like it hasn't rained in a while? Remember, this tree is planted by water and it gets its source from beneath the surface, from the hidden places that you don't see, from the root system. Are you waiting for rain? Where are you planted? I mean, imagine your life as a tree. Now, why is this important when we're talking about being rooted? Last week, I actually, this whole series is kind of an extrapolation or my take on James Davidson Hunter's book, um, To Change the World. It's a very, very, very impactful, insightful book written about 10 years ago. Um, He's a sociologist and he writes about how Christians engage with the world and his idea his and i talked about this last week but his idea is faithful presence we have to be a faithful presence in the midst of a city and he says this he says for the christian if there is a possibility for human flourishing in a world such as ours it begins when god's word of love becomes flesh in us is embodied in us and is enacted through us and in doing so a trust Is forged between the word spoken and the reality to which it speaks, to the words we speak and the realities to which we, the church, point. And all presence and place matter decisively. His whole thing is this Can we, the church, be people to be trusted? Can we be trusted to be trees that are planted in God, so rooted in God that we can be trusted to offer the fruits of God's wisdom to the world, to offer God's shalom and God's peace to the world that is becoming more and more uprooted? We don't exist for ourselves. The church does not exist for itself. You do not exist to meet this church's budget or to serve this church's needs. This church exists for the city. This is why we're here. That's why the state gives us nonprofit status sort of deal and arrangement. Because it serves the city. This is our whole... And, and so what we must do is we must build a trust where the city can almost depend on our church to be rooted so deeply in God in this city that we're offering to people the fruits of God's wisdom. And God's shalom. Everywhere we go and God's peace everywhere we go. So, this is this is this is really important on why we're rooted in God. Now, let me let me talk about why it's important that we're rooted in God in a particular place. If we really want to see renewal happen in San Francisco, it will not only take being rooted in God, but I think it's going to be take it's going to take being rooted here in the city. And this is where I want you to turn to Jeremiah 29 again. In Jeremiah 29, it's a very peculiar verse of scripture because um, Jeremiah 29, God's people are taken into exile and they're brought to the biggest city of that time, Babylon. And they're brought into Babylon as, as, as people who were uh, their city in Jerusalem was ransacked and demolished and people were carried away captive. They took actually the best and the brightest of Israel and brought them into Babylon. Now, there was all kinds of prophecies and prophets saying, let's let's just detach from the world. Let's just stay away from Babylon. Let's seclude ourselves over here. Let's keep ourselves pure because God's going to bring us back in Jerusalem soon. But God's word came to Jeremiah and it's like, all those are false prophets. That's not exactly what God wants to say. Actually, what God says to do is to move into the city and plant there and then flourish there and tie yourself so deeply to the rhythms of the city that if it prospers, you prosper and I hope that you will make the city prosper, which is a whole different vision, which I think is a really good thing to meditate on if you live in San Francisco. So first off, I want you to notice in verse seven, Jeremiah 29, seven, that it was God who said, I carried you away to Babylon. Now, the people thought that King Nebuchadnezzar carried them away. But actually it was God that did it. They were sent to Babylon in a way. And I want you to think about this. Your job didn't send you here. Or your continuing education didn't bring you here. In reality, God brought you to San Francisco. If you start thinking that way. Like how would you get to San Francisco? And you're like, my job did. Well, actually no, God did. Yeah. Well, actually I, I got accepted in this residency or this, this internship. Actually behind all of it in some really mysterious, beautiful way, God brought you here. You were sent here by God. And so if you start thinking like that, it's really, really helpful to how you're going to see this city. Verses five and six say build houses and settle down. Basically it's saying this, make a life here. The way that we're going to bring renewal in this city is by us making a life here. A life that's interconnected with each other in the church. A life that's deeply rooted here. A life that's, de- that's dependable here. So for some people I know in our city or our church, they've moved themselves in and around Soma, around their community. And like we're rooting here for the long term. Some in Potrero, some in Sunset, others in Richmond. People like I'm going to place myself around other people and make a whole network of life here so I can make a life here. See, for a lot of people... Uh, most people in San Francisco, and I think it's really important to acknowledge this part of our history, people come into San Francisco, you can come into San Francisco for two reasons. One is to mine and the other is to farm. And I think it's really important to understand that from the inception of our modern city, there has been the spirit of like miners here, like gold miners, our, our um, football teams in, in, in the championship game, the NFC championship game today, I don't know if you know that. And um, And their mascot is a 49er. He's a miner, right? He's a gold miner. 1849, gold rush happened. That's that's the spirit of our city. Now think about a miner for a second. Miner doesn't set down roots where they live. They live in camps. They don't. They don't. They don't live in homes. They live in camps, and they don't even live where they are extracting material. They they kind of commute in, and they dynamite it, and they mine it, and then they. They set up camp somewhere else. They're there in the land to extract minerals from the land. And then when the minerals are all extracted, they move on. And they often leave the land depleted when they leave. This has been the ethos of our city since its beginning. And it's been the ethos of most Christians when they moved to the city. You moved here maybe unconsciously as a miner maybe not like me, I'm not talking about under 18, I'm talking about like a gold miner, right? (laughs) You've set up shop here, you moved here, you found the cheapest place you can find on Craigslist or whatever. You crammed into like like a, you share a bedroom with like four other people, just super cheap rent. Uh, you're here for, your, for a few years, you're just sucking it up and just get, being here for a few years and your hope is to strike gold in your career, sell your startup, whatever, build your resume or whatever, and then you'll enjoy this city and its people, but you, have no long, you see no long-term future here. This makes for a very fragile environment and it doesn't make for a healthy, flourishing community or a city. None of us want to be a part of a community like this. If I said this was our goal as a church, we're going to be here for a couple years until all of us build our resume and we can get better jobs somewhere else, you probably wouldn't come here. If I said that to you, I'm here, I'm hoping to like write a few books, get my name out there and hopefully get a job in Walnut Creek. That's my job. That's like what I'm hoping to do. If I said that to you, you're like, I'm not, I'm not investing in this church at all. I do not, I don't like the vision of this church. It looks like he's there for, this is what a lot of people move the city for. What we all desire though, is stability to live in places and with a community of people where there's an environment of rootedness. This is a a virtue that I read to you a few times a year from the, uh, the order of St. Benedict called uh, stability Here's a vow that I read a couple times a year to keep in front of our our minds and our consciousness. Um, This is a vow of stability. This is pretty intense, by the way, and I think it's really good. We vow to remain all of our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace because we can't go anywhere. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, forgiving. This is a covenant. This is a covenantal. This is kind of what should be taking place in a good marriage, right? So if you have something that you can't get through in your marriage, you'd usually go to counseling to work through it because you're not going to, you know, I can't just easily leave. That's not the option. And we can't live like this. So we have to work it out. When we vow ourselves covenantally to a church and to a city, we have to do the same thing. There's a lot of things I don't like about this city. So what I have to do is I have to covenant with the city to go, then we have to work this thing out. And we have to work this thing out well because I'm not leaving, you're not leaving, we're staying here together. The same thing with the church. I have to work things out because I'm not leaving, you're not leaving. Two weeks ago, or last week actually, during our um, 10-year anniversary, which was January 10th of last week, we had, I I put together a founder's dinner for um, year, year zero people that have been here since day zero. And there were... Uh, We went into Wayfair Tavern and rented, got a room at Wayfair Tavern, and uh, we had uh, 40 people there, 40 people that have been a part of this church for 10 years and have stayed, 40. That's a lot of people, especially when the church started with a a prayer meeting of like 30, or my first email list was like 30 people, 40 people, and I looked around this at, at at that dinner, and this was like the highlight of me of, of the week of celebrating 10 years. Like, wow, I'm, I know pretty much everyone around this table really well. I know everyone around this table really well, and I know like how committed they are to the city, and I know how committed they are to this church and this community. I know what they've gone through. I know kind of how they've just tried with everything in them to stay here, to stay put for your sake. So that people that kind of year one, and there's, by the way, there's different rings of this. There's year one people, there's year two people, year three people, people that have vowed stability to this church and this city. And their faithfulness allows for this to happen. For hundreds of people to be a part of here and get this vision of, I want to, we want to stay put. Last week, someone came up to me and just said, "Um, you know, Sermons or whatever, and music. whatever. I thank you, but I thank you for all the stuff. But this is what I thank you for the most. As a pastor, thank you for staying. I know that it's not always easy to stay, but the fact that you you stayed here. Last time I taught this very this almost this exact same sermon was 2016, the year of biblical literacy. At the end of that year would be the year where kind of everything a lot of things fell apart in my life and uh, the life of the staff. And I went back this last week and listened to the sermon that I gave. And I remember I'm listening to it and I hardly ever go back and listen to sermons. And I sounded so angsty, like so angsty. And I was even kind of getting nervous listening to my own stuff, like, dude, calm down, man. Like, (laughs) you're so angsty. And I I was just reflecting on that. Why was I so angsty? And I, I know why It's because... Um, during that time, I was trying to leave, and actually, I was teaching that sermon mainly to myself, and right after that sermon, I would go to Tahoe with our community group, and I would journal about trying to leave. On the way home, Ashley had to, like, convince us to stay. I'm like, I think we're, I I can get another job somewhere. I, 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 we can leave. This is not working. I can't do this. We can't do this anymore. Like, I was, I was so full of like my own angst of like, what? I, I don't know if I can make a life here anymore. I don't know if I can give this church what it needs anymore. And I remember what it took for the, at that moment for me to stay put was to live through hell here and choose to stay. But not just that. I think the most important thing, and this is what when I sat around the room with these 40 or so people. These people have seen me make a lot of mistakes and they stayed as well. And it's that mutual commitment to they, the people that have, I've been your pastor for 10 years. I've made a lot of mistakes here and a lot of you are still here. And that to me is like, wow. And the same way I've had to live through all that stuff very publicly and choose to stay as well. And then it took finding creative ways to stay and then being committed to a community that stays and not being here for me, but for the good of the church and the city. And so there's a couple invitations here that I offer every single time I teach this. And they are this, if you're living in San Francisco for how, I don't care how long you think you're going to live here, choose to be a farmer, not a miner. Farmers have a totally different relationship with the land than miners do. Farmers have to live with the land and on the land and in the land and think of themselves generationally. When I plant this tree, I won't get the crops of this until my, my kids do. They think two, three generations later, am I extracting all the good from this land so that my kids who, who will farm here, the land is depleted? Or do I hand off to them something better than I have? So the first thing, think of yourself as a farmer planted here for the good of this land. Second thing I'd say is consider staying here longer. If you are doing a two-year residency, a four-year residency, consider staying double the time. Just think about that. Stay twice as long. If you're here for a year internship, try to stay two. If you are here for an internship, which is a story of, of Sophie who's leading worship today. She was here for an internship and like graduated and came back and moved here. Like, consider after your internship's over, moving here and making a life here. If you know you're not staying here that long, believe that you are and invest like you are. Even if you're going to stay here for a year, believe that you are. Wendell Berry, who I've been reading his poetry on Sabbath, um, he's rooted in Kentucky and he has been basically his entire life. He's a farmer poet. And he says, to feel at home in a place, you have to have some prospect of staying there. If you want to be at home here in this church, in this city, imagine your life staying here. When you have the option to leave, consider your community as a high priority in your career path. So when you're doing your pros and cons list, up on the top should be your community at church. That should be something you consider if you have to leave. Now, there it is. There's Rooted in God, Rooted in San Francisco. Now, why is, this, why is this important in this vision series? When James Davidson Hunter uses the term faithful presence, that, and the only way we're gonna change the culture, impact the culture, impact the city, renew the city, whatever language you wanna use, when he uses the, the, the term faithful presence, he's talking about groups of people like us, living in cities like San Francisco, on purpose, with a shared vision and framework of what the world should be like, and actually working in overlapping relationships to accomplish this. That's faithful presence, is that we have a vision of of the future kingdom that has to do with racial equality, that has to do with justice, that has to do with God's presence filling the, the earth, that has to do with the way that we treat the environment. Like it has all of these things built into it. And we are a kingdom of, uh, we're a people who live in that kingdom now as a, as a faithful presence, that we witness to this kingdom, that we advocate for this future kingdom, that we live our, our lives in overlapping networks to see this happen. Where we want to see other people who start businesses in San Francisco thrive. And so we network and try to get them established here to go. These people have a vision of the same kind of shalom future that I do. And I want to help them do it. It doesn't matter if they go to reality or not. Like are they followers of Jesus in the city? How do we work in overlapping networks to make this a reality in our city? Think of ourselves. And we have to think of ourselves as trees. Like rooted in God. And rooted in a place where our nourishment comes from the presence of God, and our fruit is offered in the presence of the city. Our shade is offered to the presence of the city. Now, I didn't um, grow up uh, being read to as a child. What wasn't really part of my life as a kid. I was loved and sang to and given a lot of attention. Just no books. You know that was um, that was my childhood. And so what I'm doing is I'm reading all these kid books for the first time. I'm reading to Juniper for the very first time. I've never read any of these books. And all of you kind of grew up on these books. And I'm like, I just read her this book. And she's like, you've never read that book? I'm like, I've never read that book in my entire life. So a few months ago, I read uh, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein to, to Juniper, my daughter. And I cried. <laughs> I didn't expect, I didn't see it coming in the middle of the book. I couldn't get through the book. And she's too young to know that like dad's like, Like, can't read the page because there's tears, and he's like, "Ah." and the thing is, is that I was reading this book, I don't know why I was crying. Was it because I wanted to be this tree that kept giving to the loss of itself until there was nothing left but stump, but I'm like, I love you that much, that I'll give all of myself to you until I'm just this stump? Or was it, I was the boy, always rushing along to what was next? I didn't really know why I was crying. I'm like, why am I crying? Why is this book hitting me with such force as I'm holding my daughter reading this to her? And after some research, I found out there are a lot of people who read this book as adults and see it completely different than they did when they were kids. There's like all kinds of deep Reddit threads that you can get down into. <laughs> some seeing this book as a picture of what's wrong with our ecology, not caring for our environment, but destroying the trees. Others see it as just a bunch of narcissistic kids just trying to take everything from their parents. Others see this codependent lovers giving until there's nothing left of themselves. Others see it as a treatment of how men see women because the tree is a female in the story. I was like, dang, there's people have a lot of opinions about this book. (laughs) And I'm like really new to this whole thing. But what does this book mean? And why was I so moved every time I read it to my daughter and I had it written down, I'm like, when I teach on rootedness, I have to revisit this book because there's something in there that moved me. I think this book moved me because it's a story about the impermanence of things. And why people get so emotional reading the book is because it's like the opening scene from Up, if you've ever seen that cartoon, that movie, the animated film, sorry, whatever. You see a whole lifetime in a matter of minutes. And you relate to it because time passes that fast. And I'm reading it, I'm actually caught up in the fact that time does move that fast. As a 41-year-old person holding my almost one-year-old daughter, time flies this fast. And the little boy grows up and you know that the happiest he's ever been was under the shade of the tree as a child. And you want this kid to get back there. And you know, as adult reading this book, it's not possible to get back there. And you see this tree trying to do everything she can to try to get the boy to be happy. Like he was at the beginning when he was shalom, when he was at peace. And the tree offers itself until it's just a stump just to try to get him back there. And you relate with the boy because you know that life has to be lived and you have to leave, but you come back and there's that longing there and he's searching for something And you know he's searching for something he will never find. You know it. He leaves, you're like, you're not going to find a kid. He comes back, he's a little bit older. You're like, yeah, that that looks about right. And life has beaten him up until the very end. And it ends sad. Actually, Shel Silverstein even said, it ends really sad. And you might cry when you read it because you too feel this. And maybe it's because we're both the boy and the tree. We're this boy that like a typical San Franciscan, always thinks something else is out there. And we also have a little bit of the tree in us in that we just want things the way they were when it was peaceful, when it was whole, when it was childlike. And now we're back again to the mystic philosopher Simone Weil. To be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. Maybe it's not the next job that you need or the next relationship that you need or the next thing you need or the next upgrade you need. What you really long for and need and all of culture pushes away from it is the need to be rooted. And when we read the giving tree, there's part of us that knows that the tree knows. This is what it's about. Staying rooted So we've talked about trees and streams and roots and exile and home. I think what this all has to do with each other is is really about our deep human need to be rooted and at home with God. This is the exile that we all feel. This is like the the resonant note in every song and every book like The Giving Tree, the thing that strikes a chord in us. We want to be at home. We are all homesick. We just feel it more in San Francisco because for a lot of us, this isn't quote home. And we all feel homesick and our real home isn't in Pennsylvania and our real home isn't in Southern California. Our real home is in God whose love goes after us with epic force to bring us home and bring us into into delight. Like God is that kind of God that keeps going after us to bring us back. And what you might be Sensing today, feeling today, even in the room is this, is a God who's after you to bring you back home, to root yourself into him again. If we're going to be anything for our city, it has to start with our home being rooted in God in delighting in God, because that's where true delight comes from and meditating on God. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.